Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Katy Perry is off the hook for a multi-million dollar copyright infringement verdict. It's a victory not only for Perry, but also for songwriters and the music industry. After a trial last August, a jury awarded $2.8 million to Christian rapper Marcus Gray, known as Flame. They found that Perry's hit song, Dark Horse, Let's copied Gray's song, Joyful Noise. Your boy's been a Christian quite a few years. Victory and faith, but I failed in my fears. I heard a lot of words that have tickled many ears. But the judge threw out the jury's verdict and found that Perry had not ripped off Flame's song. Joining me is intellectual property litigator Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Muchen Rosenman. Terry, just last week, we talked about the Ninth Circuit's game-changer ruling in the Stairway to Heaven case, which the judge cited in the Katy Perry case. Tell us about the similarities. So, June, I don't think it's a coincidence that uh, the judge here came out with this decision shortly after the Led Zeppelin case. She cites to the Led Zeppelin decision by the Ninth Circuit repeatedly, and she relies upon it for certain crucial elements of her legal finding that allowed her to toss out the jury verdict of copyright infringement. In particular, she points to the uh, discussion in the Led Zeppelin case that merely asserting a handful of unprotected musical elements when combined together are not necessarily copyrightable. And that's essentially where she comes out here in this case. She says the underlying musical elements at issue, this ostatio, is not individually protected, and you don't get protection merely by saying you've combined it together with other musical elements. So it's fascinating the way that the Led Zeppelin decision out of the Ninth Circuit is already having an impact on lower court legal decisions. Terry, for those of us who do not know music as well as you do, explain, was this a simple eight-note pattern and astatios is essentially a, a rhythmic pattern that is repeated over and over again in a musical composition. So it is an eight-note pattern, but it was not a single eight-note pattern. There were several patterns within it. Does this mean that you can, in fact, copyright that kind of a pattern, but it has to be unique? It is, in theory, after both the Led Zeppelin decision and this decision, possible to copyright such a musical pattern. However, what we're seeing here is an evolution of copyright law. We can't be certain yet, but it appears that copyright in musical compositions is moving toward a more stringent standard that makes it more difficult to claim copyright and even combinations of uncopyrightable musical elements. 
would that kind of standard be something completely new or would that be going back in time to a standard previously? Well, this decision is really a primer on copyright in music going back decades. The judge does a superb job of working through the history of how on the West Coast, the Ninth Circuit has developed the law of copyright with respect to musical compositions and asserts that her decision is squarely within the mainstream of that law. Now, when you stand back a distance and look at that historical progression, it's impossible not to see cycles. We see, for example, a couple of years ago with the Blurred Lines case, the cycle moving in favor of finding copyright protection for otherwise relatively common elements of a musical work. We now see that cycle moving in the opposite direction, almost as if in reaction to the Blurred Lines decision. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork, and it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest-growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. I want to go back for a moment to put this in context. The jury verdict in this Dark Horse case really stunned the music industry. Explain why. So there was a lot of criticism at the time that the judge should not have allowed this case to go to the jury. And that is because there's a two-part test involved here. There is a claim on behalf of this Christian rapper Flame that the songs are substantially similar. In order to prove his case, he has to show that Katy Perry and the producers had access to his work, which the court even here in this decision has found that they did have access because the song was widely played. But he also has to show um, that the works were substantially similar using a two-part test. On the one hand, there's the extrinsic test, and on the other hand, there's the intrinsic test of 
substantial similarity. The extrinsic test is reserved to the court, to the judge. It's not a jury finding. And in that, the judge has to say, what is claimed to have been infringed is, in fact, protectable copyrighted work. Then it gets passed to the jury under the intrinsic test, and they make a subjective decision as to whether or not those protected elements are seen in the copied work and are substantially similar. At the jury trial stage, the judge allowed both of those elements, the extrinsic and intrinsic objective similarity test, to go to the jury, and now she has essentially gone back and taken away from the plaintiff the findings with respect to the extrinsic substantial similarity test, saying that she as the judge is entitled to decide that these musical elements are not protectable under copyright law in the first place, and therefore to eliminate the jury verdict. Now, some might ask, why did she even let this go to the jury if she was going to make that kind of a determination? Because it's really unusual, isn't it, for a judge to decide to throw out a jury verdict? It is absolutely unusual, and it is a challenging standard to meet under the law to throw out a jury verdict on a uh, post-trial motion. I have seen this done by judges, not just in music cases involving copyright, but also in in patent cases. There is a tendency amongst uh, trial judges who are not comfortable with making a decision pre-trial on a complex fact pattern such as music. And so instead, what they do is they let the jury decide. And in the back of their mind, quite frankly, they are hoping that the jury will (laughs) do something that eliminates their need to ever consider the extrinsic test. So if the jury here had come back with a verdict in favor of Katy Perry, say, "Ah, we just don't see the substantial similarity here, then the judge would have had a much easier decision to make and indeed wouldn't have had to have considered the elements it did here in this decision. So it's almost as if they're asking in part for an advisory decision from the jury and sort of postponing the day of reckoning in which they have to actually make a call on this very, very tough test as to whether or not the actual elements are protected. Now I'm going to ask you to speculate a little here. A judge in New York put off another high-profile copyright case over Ed Sheeran's Thinking Out Loud until the Stairway to Heaven decision came in. Is the judge likely to make some kind of decision before trial in that case because of these decisions that we've been talking about? So the really difficult issue that the judge faced in the Ed Sheeran case was related to whether or not certain portions of the music, as recorded, could be played to the jury at trial. And the Led Zeppelin case upheld a decision by the trial judge to not allow recordings to be played. They allowed an expert to come in and simply play the notes. And I think that's what, and as a speculation, I think that's what the judge in the Ed Sheeran case was looking for help and guidance on. So we'll have to wait now and see whether the judge in that case allows recordings to be played for the jury or not. But clearly, that judge was looking for some guidance from the Ninth Circuit in the Led Zeppelin case. Just explain for those who don't remember the history of the Led Zeppelin case, why the music itself wasn't played in that trial. So in that case, it it involved 
two songs, uh, Copyright at Work, and then the actual Stairway to Heaven song that was accused of infringement, both of which were recorded and released to the public prior to 1972. Now, 1972 is a key year because that was, believe it or not, the first time in the history of the United States that recorded music was copyrightable. Prior to that time, sheet music could be copyrighted, but not recorded music. And so in the Led Zeppelin case, the copyrighted issue was only on sheet music and not on the actual recordings. And that's in large part why the Ninth Circuit in the Led Zeppelin decision said that the judge at the lower court was correct not to allow the recordings to be played because it might confuse the jury because the recordings were not the actual copyrights that were accused of being infringed. Thanks so much, Terry. Fascinating as always. That's Terrence Ross, a partner at Catton Muchen Rosenman. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.